Inside the Gamecocks Podcast Special Mailbag Edition, folks, I promised you I would get to this. I uh, wanted to give you a little extra. This week, after all the news and stuff, and uh, I'm sure you guys have plenty of questions, uh, thanks to Heritage Digital, uh, as always, for sponsoring the podcast. Uh, also, Cindy Searfoss, Caldwell Banker Kane, and iHealth Consulting, which sponsors the mailbag. Shout out to all those guys. You got the commercials on the regular episodes. You guys know how to get in contact with those sponsors. Uh, really appreciate all of you that have gone to the sponsors, patronize those folks. They really keep us going. All right, so the mailbag. Here's how it sets up. You guys know there's two ways to get in the mailbag. You can tweet to at the Big Spur Pod, or you can email inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com, and we will get it to you. No questions asked except by you, actually. So, um, you know, here we go. So some of you answered uh, the question about Josh Stepp on Twitter when I retweeted it um, from Gamecock Fan 3 in the episode we recorded earlier. This is going to be released Saturday morning, recording it Friday night. So, all right, by the way, shout out to Gamecocks men's tennis. They beat Clemson. So seventh straight win of the series in tennis. I Honest to God, don't know a whole lot about college tennis. I know the Gamecocks were pretty good. They had a good singles player last year. But um, so Jeb and Chuck chimed in and said, Steph's brother is now the OC at Georgia State. And he is. And he's very deserving. Uh, just like Justin, Josh Stepp is a rising star in the coaching industry. Sean Elliott certainly felt comfortable promoting him to OC. I will say this, though. I, I don't know that the OC job at Georgia State would have necessarily kept him. Um, you know, uh, from taking the job at Carolina, just because it's the SEC and all that good stuff. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm very curious to see how he does at Georgia State. I think, you know, everything I've heard about him is he's an excellent, excellent, excellent um, coach. And uh, just like his brother is. And so you wish him the best. But I just reported that that's probably not the probably not the direction Shane Beamer's going. He and Pat DeMarco both uh, are guys that I would have you know, put on the list earlier. But after checking it out, it's not a situation, um, you know, uh, that you can, uh, you know, you, not a situation where I think they're getting the job based on what I've been told. All right, so that's Twitter. <laughs> Thanks to Chuck and Jeb for responding to that. That's good. You always like that. Um, all right, so now you go to the inbox, inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. We got five. And, and again, this is not going to be a, a very long uh, episode, but it's something to listen to on Saturday, Sunday, whenever you're doing it. Uh, if you're getting this Saturday, don't forget uh, Gamecock basketball at 1 p.m. against the Tennessee Vols. If you're listening to this Sunday, Here's hoping you are happy with the win that the Gamecocks get uh, against the Vols. And if they don't win, you know, it's one of those things. It, 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 even, you know, there's no – in basketball these days, uh, when you're trying to get in the NCAA tournament, there's no, like, play them close. Ah, oh, they fought their butts off and lost by two to a top-10 team. Um, it's year 10 of a coaching tenure. So, it, you win or you lose these days, and, and people will judge you on that. So uh, that's probably what's going to happen. So if you're listening to it Sunday, whatever. I, I don't think much is going to change. Uh, I don't expect – I can't rule it out, but I don't expect Shane Beamer to name a new tight ends coach this weekend. You never know. But uh, I don't expect that to happen. Uh, but uh, so if there's some some new, some new info 
if you're catching this on a Sunday or whatever, Monday, later Saturday that, that's out to date, just remember I, I recorded this Friday night because I promised you guys I would do it. And I aim to please. All right. Inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com in the iHelp Consulting mailbag. Tim, he says, I hate to see Kimry leave. The subject is Eric Kimry. And it, for those of you that don't know, uh, and you probably do know, Eric Kimry left and take, took the job at the Baylor School in Chattanooga, head coaching position on the high school level, big private high school up there. He's got connections. Uh, great opportunity for Eric, I think, uh, who spent most of his career as a head coach. Uh, people have to keep that in mind, too. You know, when you're a head coach for like 20 years and then all of a sudden you're an assistant, uh, sometimes that's a different, that's a dynamic you don't really, you're not comfortable with. And I'm not saying Eric was or was not comfortable. Uh, I'm just saying big deal uh, as far as the, uh, you know, being the head coach and, and being in charge of your program. There's something to be said for that. Uh, not that he had anything, obviously, you know, Eric, Eric Kimry's public statements, private statements, whatever, big fan of what Shane Beamer's doing uh, for the Gamecock program. Uh, Tim says, I hate to see Kimry leaving the Gamecocks, but not necessarily for his coaching abilities, but more for his presence as a culture changer. He seemed to be unique and different in his approach as a college football coach and was a big part of Beamer's culture change. I know all the keyboard warriors want to blame Satterfield for his leaving, and I'm sure some of that did come into play, but you're a fool if you think that that's the only reason. I know this was his dream job. But college football coaching is a different animal. The college coaching lifestyle is an absolute grind. I know people talk about how good the money is, but it's not as good as people think when it comes to the hours you put in and the job instability. And, and I'll point this out. Uh, Kimry was making, and this is public record. I'm not telling you something that's super secret. He was taking making 200 grand a year at South Carolina. Uh, he's going to make that at uh, not taking a pay cut at, um, at uh, Baylor school. They're able to pay more than that for a head football coach if they need uh, to pay that for a head football coach. So, you know, you got some guys on the staff that make half a million a year. Uh, coordinators on, on the staff are obviously both at 900. I expect at least one of those guys to be moved up. You know, that's sort of money that you, know, you do that for two or three years. It's life-changing money for your family. When you're making 200, it's not necessarily that. So, that's kind of uh, another factor in all of this is if it's the same money, you know, what do you do? Um, and I think that being a head coach part of it's big as well. Uh, you know, and lifestyle could have played a factor. Uh, you know, when, when Kimry says I did this for my family and what's best for my family, I think that means something, right? Uh, you know, and uh, so Tim goes on. Kimry has small children, and I imagine he's leaving for the betterment of his family. Yeah, he's telling the absolute truth when he says that. Sometimes the best investment, this is Tim, you can make when it comes to your children is having time with them when they're home. If you don't, they may end up living in your basement in their mid-40s. <laughs> but my mid-40s, not in the basement. So thank God every day for it. Could have been. It could have been. Had I not had I not made certain decisions in my life, I, I could have seen myself doing that. Um, and then I think if I had a time machine, I'd go back in time and kick my own ass. <laughs> if I could. Uh, but anyway, it all worked out for me. But yeah, you know, you're right about that. Spending time uh, with your children is important for fathers and mothers these days. Uh, I think in our society, uh, and, you know, a lot of people talk, talk, talk about the presence of fathers. And I think that's important too. But also mothers sometimes are not present. 
Um, I think it's important to have parents present in your life if you're a child. Uh, and that's duh. You know, that's a duh statement. Duh. Um, because parents are, that's what they're there for, to give you guidance, to be there for you, you know, be your best friends, biggest fans, supporters, all that. So, yeah, I'm with you there. Tim goes on. As a father of two, I totally get it and wish him the best. He's a great Gamecock and will be missed. And I think that's when you talk about he and Shaw both leaving, that's the tough part. You know, these guys are guys that played the, the most prominent position on the field at South Carolina. Connor Shaw was part of some of the best wins in program history. Eric Kimry had arguably a top 10 iconic individual play with the fade against Mississippi State. I was there at the game uh, back in 2000. Uh, you know, there's always Eric's always been very supportive. Connor's always been. So to see those two guys leave, I think does have to be jarring. And, you know, I, in talking about the Satterfield situation, like I said, was everything sunshine and rainbows and hunky dory and you know it's like the curtain call at the end of Godspell where everybody's dressed in tassels and glitter and holds hands and kisses on the cheek and takes a bow and walks out and out. Um, everybody did shake hands and hug when they left and everything was fine. There was no hard feelings on either end. Uh, but you know, at the same time, I, I would be an idiot if I sat there and said, oh, no, everybody's good friends. They all hang out and blah, 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 outside of work. And, uh, you know, because that, that's that's probably not completely accurate either. So I'll put it that way with, uh, with that. Now, did Satterfield force these guys out? No. Uh, the only person they could do that is Shane Beamer. Both had jobs. Both were welcome to come back. Um, I, I think that when Shane Beamer talked to Eric Kimry, you know, they both kind of arrived at, you know, this is what's going to make you happier in life. Just like you said, Tim, just like you said, um, you know, so, you know, it was no, like, there was probably no Beamer saying, well, we'll double your salary. If you stay, please stay. You know, I think, I think they mutually taught this out. They're close. They're friends. Uh, and you always want what's best for your friends uh, in life, you know, no matter what. So, uh, thanks for the email, Tim. Moving on. Ty says, JC, in my humble opinion, as Shane looks for a replacement for Eric Kimry, he should look for someone who has experience as a play caller. The obvious reason for this is in case the offense struggles this fall, he will have options. Also, if Sat, Sat gets sidelined with some COVID variant, do you feel he'll take that approach? And do you feel he should? Thanks, Ty Cock from my hometown of Spartanburg. No. Uh, and that's coming from somebody that thinks there needs, there needed to be a new play caller. Uh, I think that Shane Beamer, uh, went all in doubled down on Marcus Satterfield. And I think that the problem is going to be if you hire somebody with play calling experience. Now, look, they hire Bobby Bentley. Great. You know, I, Bobby has been on, you know, worked under what three offensive coordinators of South Carolina. He's not going to sit there. And I mean, and nobody really would sit there and undermine. Okay. Uh, Bobby's got a real, uh, when he works at a job, you know, if you look at what he does, South Florida, Auburn here, he's, he's got, he's got what, a, what we called it 24 seven when I worked there and rivals. Shannon Terry came up with this, a servant's mentality. In other words, Bobby's going to keep his head down and do his job. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, he's got play calling experience, but he's got a way different offense than a lot of these guys were do, especially Sat or Bobo or Roper or whatever. 
maybe not BMAC, but, uh, you, you know, so I, I think that that's fine. You know, everybody knows Bobby Bentley and they're fine. Same with GA Magnus, you know, they know he can call plays, but that's it. But you go out and hire somebody that's got a wealth of experience calling plays coming into coach tight ends who, who nobody, and the first thing that happens, uh, let's say South Carolina goes out to Arkansas, has a bad game offensively. You know, Barry Odom's a great defensive coach. They could have a great game plan, shut them down. Carolina scores like 10 points, 250 yards. Immediately, everybody's like, turn it over to him or turn it over to him or turn it over to him, turn it over to him. And, and there's no chance that that could be very corrosive and divisive. Uh, you know, if you want to go hire a co-coordinator, fine. If you want to say this guy's got assistant head coach offense kind of deal, uh, and he's a play caller, and we, you know, the, then that's fine. You know, hand it over to, to the actual play calling to him. That's fine. Uh, or have him as a co-coordinator. Get that title. That's fine. But for a tight ends coach, I mean, you, you're really, if you're Shane Beamer, putting a, a what I would call an unnecessary bullseye on Marcus Satterfield's back uh, because the patient's, uh, Pace is going to be wearing thin next year the minute they struggle on offense. And it, it doesn't matter if they win or lose. Uh, they struggle on offense. You're going to get a lot of blame on Satterfield. And, and, and I don't think that it's good to have that other guy there. Everybody's constantly promoting him. And, you know, if, if you wanted to do that, you need to fire Satterfield or hire a co-coordinator and demote him from play calling or whatever. And that doesn't appear to be the case. So if you're going to go all in, or you're going to double down on Marcus Satterfield, you need to do it. It's Marcus Satterfield's offense. Now the COVID thing's interesting. What if he does get a COVID variant, has to miss? Eh, who calls it? Well, in that case, you know, step. This will be a second year in the system. Uh, you know, Limbo, Shane himself. I mean, you can get through that uh, fine. Um, and and I almost think that would be when you're when you're talking about football, that would be a better approach than maybe having somebody who uh, has called plays but has a completely different offense that's in the first year trying to learn all this stuff, uh, that could lead to disaster. But, and look, Ty Cock, I'm not, you know, I, I'm, I'm with you as far as, you know, hey, maybe have a new play caller. Yeah, and, and you guys know I've been there. But uh, I'm looking at it from Beamer's standpoint and from an organizational standpoint that if you do that, Outside of a guy like Bobby Bentley or G.A. Mangus who call plays and everybody knows, uh, but they've also been here not calling plays. Um, you know, I, I think that's just like people uh, fawning over the new guy, uh, and it's not really fair to Satterfield uh, and not really fair to the entire team, nor Shane Beamer or anyone, anybody else, when inevitably the offense is going to struggle. You're in the SEC. Uh, you're going to run up, maybe not against Arkansas, maybe Georgia, whoever, you're going to run up against a good defense that's going to have you overmatched uh, eventually. <laughs> uh, and, and I just don't think that's healthy, you know, and, and I think it puts some unspoken pressure. I don't know if it's good for staff chemistry or, or what. You know, outside of a guy, like I said, like Bentley, now Bentley's called plays at the high school level, but never in college. Um, you know, but you go and hire a guy that's been a play caller to, to just come in. It's kind of wink, wink, nod, nod. At least it looks that way. That's not fair to anyone. And I think diminishes the chances of success next year. Uh, because instead of people talking about if they have a bad game on offense, you know, 
what do they need to do to correct these mistakes and get better? Everybody's talking about you need to promote the tight ends to, to, to play call. And I don't think that's healthy uh, at all, uh, even though, you know, midway through the year last year, I could have made a, a good argument to hand it over to at least somebody else. Uh, but anyway, that's not a terrible idea. Ty. I don't want you to think I was disagreeing with you. I, I, I just, for, for the chemistry portion of it, for what they're trying to accomplish next season uh, and the big one, 99% of it is Shane Beamer's decided Mark Satterfield's his guy, you know, so if that's your guy, you need to empower him and you need to get behind him and everybody does uh, and not hire his replacement to coach tight ends for him. Um, I hope that makes sense because uh, that's, that's, that's where I'm kind of looking at it for. And that's why, you know, Tim Brewster, uh, Jody Wright, you know, those guys have good resumes, you know, but that they're not play callers. You know, Tim Brewster has been a head coach at Minnesota for four years, but he's not a play caller. So uh, I think those guys, are safer choices and actually really good uh, considering what the Gamecocks need. Thank you so much. Tristan, Jamar Brown, Jamar Brown to the Chanticleers. What did you see that one coming? That guy's an absolute baller. I expect him to make a name for himself at Coastal and be all conference. Just surprised me. He didn't go to another power five school. Me too. And uh, you know, this is the portal at work though. I think that normal years, there'd probably be some opportunity that uh, he didn't get, you know, because of the portal and stuff. I think Jamar Brown, uh, I agree with you. Uh, Every time the guy's been healthy and played, he's made plays, and even at safety this past year, which may or may not be his natural position. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what Chad Staggs does with him with Coastal's defense next season. Uh, I think if he can stay healthy, and again, that's big because he he does stay hurt. Um, He has stayed hurt a few times. Uh, I, I agree. Could be all conference NFL guy, uh, depending on the position he plays. Uh, so, you know, did it surprise me? I think once we went through like two or three weeks and like the Miamis of the world didn't want him and all that, then yeah, maybe you, you start to wonder if he's going to get picked up. And, you know, this is just one of those things that through the years when we deal with the transfer portal, you know, we're going to have to start seeing because, yeah, yeah, we know Jamal Brown, Jamal Brown has excellent potential. Uh, we also know he's injury prone. Um, we also know he made a boneheaded play on, on television, uh, you know, against Troy. But I forgive him for that because I've seen guys that make millions of dollars a year that play pro football do that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, that, that's just the portal. And I think that with so many players in it, if you're a unless you're a school that looks like man, we need a hybrid safety linebacker like tomorrow, uh, and even then, if there's one that's healthier than Jamar Brown, you're probably taking them uh, and all that. But Coastal, you know, look, Coastal's recruiting really well. Their their brand has you know increased. Uh, Jamie Chadwell has them going, and so uh, it, it's not like going to Coastal when they were just starting football back in the David Bennett era. But yeah, did it surprise me? Yeah, I thought he'd go. I thought he'd go Power Five somewhere, you know, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, uh, one of the Texas schools, someplace in Florida. Uh, but no, didn't happen. But uh, completely agree with you, Tristan, on the uh, the uh, coastal thing and the all conference thing and all that. 
All right. So Mitchell has a question. I hope all is well. I don't have a Gamecocks related question, but I wanted to get your take on something journalism related since you and your colleagues at the Big Spur have many years of experience in journalism. Yeah, yeah, I have a journalist. I have a journalism background like I did it in college. Hale has one. Alex Jones, who we just hired as a Carolina J School grad. Whittle, no, and Tony, no. Those guys don't. Uh, and in our business, half of us do, half of us don't. And it really has never mattered as far as who's good and who's not. Um, and if you hear a tapping noise, that's red on the hardwood floor. I don't know why. He's decided to do what he's doing, but he's chasing something. So I apologize for that. But, hey, it's Friday night trying to get this out. Um, Mitchell goes on to say, a couple of weeks ago, I saw where the New York Times bought The Athletic to try to increase their revenue. While I do like online websites like The Big Spur, and I will say The Athletic has some good writers, it does really upset me that all these local newspapers, especially with their sports section, are getting shut down. I grew up reading local sports section, and it upsets me to see journalists lose their jobs over the years. Um, I have some thoughts about that, Mitchell. Uh, this is no shot at the athletic or anything, but if it's ridiculous how their founders wanted to pillage newspapers and be the last one standing against any small local newspapers. I think the more newspapers you have, the better off everyone will be. I don't want to have one source of information. Uh, my question is based on your understanding. Why have so many local small papers across the country been shut down? Our small newspapers fix themselves, and do you think they can make a comeback in the future similar to record discs? Also, I know, also I know this is inside the Gamecocks, not inside newspapers, but this has been intriguing to me for a few weeks now. I don't want to get your thoughts if you don't mind. It is directly the fault of newspapers that newspapers are going out, okay? And I'll tell you what. Uh, when I left the industry, it was like this and you kind of saw it coming, you know, especially with sports. Now, look, I still think if you're a local paper, having a robust cut, robust coverage of high school sports is the way to go online. And otherwise, um, would never cut those high school jobs. I think anything else you can freelance or get off the wire. Uh, but parents and, and fans of the high school team, they're still going to want to read the paper and read it online and, and all area teams and all conference team, all that, all that local coverage, you're not going to find anywhere else. Um, and, you know, even in 04, when I got out of newspapers, most newspapers were gearing up to go in that direction. Even, even bigger mid-sized dailies like Anderson in South Carolina or Spartanburg or Greenville, the Greenville news, all those. But 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 here's why they're going out because usually new newspapers were owned by one of two groups, right? Either gigantic national conglomerates who don't give a flying you know what about local news coverage. They're looking at the bottom line and what their stock price is at and how to cut costs and, and make a profit and all that, you know, like your Gannett's of the world or the New York Times or whoever, or they're owned by like these little tiny companies who basically are running like ad it's, it's an ad flyer. There's very little content in it. They dribble it out to you. And these are your tiny weeklies. And, you know, uh, like the company that ended up buying the newspaper in Gainesville, Georgia, that I was working for is like that. And uh, cause the Gainesville paper is owned by Gannett, which owns USA today. And then they sold out to this, you know, 
I call them news charlatans, <laughs> just came in and, and gutted it because uh, they want to turn a profit. So those are the two business models. Now, everything started to go online. Instead of somebody using their brain and saying, we need to get out in front of this with our resources, especially in sports, they didn't. It was almost like a supplementary thing to the print newspaper. Then all of a sudden, printing costs go up. Uh, when you when you have a newspaper in a certain department, you know you have editors, you have and then you have what you call paginators, people that actually put the news onto the page and print the page, design the page. Uh, so that's overhead. Then you have writers and reporters, uh, and it gets expensive. You know, on top of the cost to print the paper. Uh, and so you know the big companies that don't really care about the local market, they just start cutting and cutting and cutting and cutting. And, and trying to go online and sell subscriptions online or whatever. Uh, and then, you know, the, the, the news charlatans, they're, 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 they're not, they don't even care. They'll hire people that don't even write well, good English, just put whatever crap in there, you know, with the weeklies or whatever, and they're selling ads. Uh, and then as the population ages and we get further and further away from, because, you know, when I, when I was 18, 19, 20 years old, I'd, I'd go eat, you know, for lunch or whatever. Uh, go sit somewhere and, and buy my soul grab the paper, uh, sit down and eat and have a cup of coffee and read it cover to cover. That, that's what I did every day. Well, now I don't. I read news off my phone, off apps and websites. And there are some new, big newspapers like the New York Times, which is its own thing that owns other papers, like really the Washington Post to a certain extent, like the Wall Street Journal that kind of got in front of subscriptions and you know, because of political coverage starting in 2016, they started selling subscriptions. Now, the subscription portion of it with sports, uh, I went to Rivals.com at 2004. We got way out ahead of it. And it ended up being, if you're talking about breaking news and things like that, we were way out in front of the newspaper, okay? Uh, I'll never forget. When I first got to know who Tony Morrell was, was right before I went to Rivals. He was at Gamecock Central, and I remember him posting because uh, it shocked me, just like every other Gamecock. Uh, at this point, I think that Steve Spurrier will replace Lou Holtz as head coach of South Carolina. And, uh, boom, boom, that was like a bomb. Uh, and that website d- doubled for Gamecock Central. Tony thankfully works with us now. But uh, I, at that point in my head, I was like, there's no way newspapers are going to be able to compete without a robust digital offering. Uh, and then they gradually got into it, but we still have something they don't, which is a gigantic online community. And now we're into podcasting and video and all this other stuff. You can, you know, you can monetize. I wish I could monetize the podcast a little better, but you know, all that good stuff. And they're trying to play catch up, still trying to print a newspaper. And that's why. So, the athletic really has nothing to do with cutting local sports coverage. Uh, I think their idea was we're going to go into these markets and compete college and pro uh, and take advantage of, of the newspapers cutting that kind of coverage. Because as I told you, Mitchell, the newspapers, you know, decided to go more towards high school and local because you can't get that anywhere else. Uh, so even bigger papers and bigger markets are kind of like, well, instead of having, you know, the Pittsburgh papers that having three Steelers writers, you only have one. And then the other two go cover high school and, and what a small college, whatever, whatever you can get eyeballs on, whatever you can specialize in. Uh, and then the websites, 
and, and look, the athletic tried to compete in the South Carolina market. They hired Josh Kendall. Josh did a great job for them, had a lot of good stuff. It did not do anything. And so they moved Josh kind of off the beat. He covers the Falcons now and some other things. Uh, so they weren't able to compete with us or Gamecock Central and then to a lesser extent, the state and their online offerings. So uh, what? how can they make a comeback? I think it's going to take the model that we have uh, with 24-7 sports, uh, Rivals.com, now own three, and you go with it like that. In other words, you're a, you're, you're a collection of local websites, and that's basically what 24-7 is, college markets. And in other words, like you have, you know, localnews.com and you freelance, you know, subscription wise with, uh, you know, you contract subscription wise with people that are local news guys. And then they get half and you get half. And I also think that these days you cannot do an ivory tower approach to, to sports reporting or really any reporting. Uh, and I think in politics and things like that, you could gain a lot of trust by getting on a message board and talking to your readers. And that's one thing we do at the big spur all the time. You know, we will sit there and talk to you. We're not in the ivory tower writing something. Oh, you guys go and read it. And oh, let the little groundlings read it. And they can just deal with whatever we wrote, you know? And I think that's where you screw up too, because, you know, look at the popularity of Facebook, Twitter, whatever, social media, and it's because they can go back and forth and they can talk to you like a human. And sometimes what they say is not human. It's it's awful. You know, they say whatever they want. I don't like that part of it, but you feel like you belong. Like our concept with the message board, it's a hub for information, a hub for news, a hub for scoop. But the concept basically is a online sports bar where we all meet every day and just, you know, that's why I got to be the bouncer sometimes and kick people out. Right. Uh, Cause they're, they're ruining it for everybody else, you know, and uh, old Mo in the corner's mad again. I was kicking him out, you know, <laughs> but, but I think with local news and, and I, and I agree with you, local news is important because, uh, I think that as much as everybody in, in political reporting concentrates on what's going on in uh, the rat race, hell, whole, whole Washington, D.C., uh, and, and as much as that's great for getting eyeballs, it's almost like a, a soap opera that you follow. I think a lot of important things are happening at the local level that people aren't aware of, you know, and, and, and it's because of the death of local local news, you know, I mean. Uh, I think the state does a pretty good job covering the state house, but you know, you get a lot more sometimes from like a Fitz news, right. An independent thing. And so, you know, I think whoever decides to put together a company uh, using the sports model that we had, that it's just local. Like in other words, if I started that, like I'd have a Columbia, Greenville, Sparnberg, Sumter, you know, the smaller towns and, and try to kind of put it all together yeah, I'd probably not do any Gamecock stuff or Clemson stuff, you know, other than maybe run the wire story. Uh, but boy, like the, the 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 sports guy in Sumter would run, he would have to own Sumter High and uh, Crestwood and Lakewood. You know, the, the guy in Columbia, you know, we probably have multiple people. They, they'd have to own Richland, Lexington. Spartanburg have to own Spartanburg in, in sports and local government and everything else you want from a local publication. And uh, the good news is for these smaller communities, 
whereas you couldn't really justify circulation wise to have a daily product because you, know, you, you know it costs money to print online you you know there, there's not there's not that uh overhead with the printed product with you know paying drivers to throw it in your driveway with whatever uh and there's enough online if you if you you can get enough traffic i think and sell enough if you have the power of a you know a a, a 50 market conglomerate you could sell enough advertising to really sustain it and probably be extremely popular or, or profitable and uh you'd run the you know you'd probably run the newspapers out at that point and, and pillage their guys and gals and all the talent that they have there's something that AOL started a few years back called the patch uh and, and it's not been as good as it could be uh with local markets and things like that um, I just don't think they put the content resources into it. And like a lot of local newspapers, full of ads. So I don't know if, uh, if somebody wants to, you know, raise about uh, 10 million worth of capital and invest in that. Let me know. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. <laughs> uh, I'll get you set up. Thanks Mitchell. And finally, uh, Sarah says Shaw and Kimry. Uh, JC, have you heard anything about, about behind the scenes about why they left? Obviously, rumors about Riff with Sat are out there, but have you heard anything? Like I said, I you know anything Tony reported about there being some disagreement with Sat and the staff is true. Uh, it wasn't Eric Kimry or Connor Shaw, to my knowledge, or, or, you know, anybody specific, really, it was kind of universal that people in the program didn't think he was doing a good job and he's a little abrasive, but they had a meeting and cleared the air about everything. This is just much more about, uh, about Eric Kimry and his life and sort of his life plan, uh, in my opinion, same thing with Connor, I, I think, I think the life plan there is, is what one, one out. Now I'm not gonna lie to you and say it was hunky dory, like I said. Uh, but, uh, that's, um, that, that, you know, I would be surprised if that were the overwhelming reason those two left. I think there are a number of reasons. Most importantly, this is the best move for the family. Um, and also, uh, Sarah goes on. Georgia guys are loving the McClendon hire, but his wide receiver room at South Carolina left a lot to be desired. Do you think it will be better there having the G on his shirt versus the block C? Thanks and keep it awesome. Uh, Sarah, um, yeah. I think that he will have a better, you know, four, getting your four-star, five-star guys. Uh, that happened at Oregon. who's pretty good out there with the O on his shirt. Uh, Georgia obviously has won the national championship. They recruit very well. Um, and I think this too, I think that whereas at South Carolina, you know, it was kind of like BMAC and Muschamp would sign off on receivers. And you look at Muschamp's receivers at Florida, he signed off on a lot of those guys that couldn't play either. Um, and I think BMAC kind of went too much on size rather than speed uh, or playmaking ability. And, and then you have to also keep into account, take into account, BMAC signed three, four, five guys that could, just could not stay healthy. I mean, or Trey Smith could not stay healthy. Chad Terrell could not stay healthy. Porter Enriquez Davis 
had had a seventh year with the program coming up. Finally said, I've had enough. Um, you know, those are guys that could have helped had they been healthy. So a little bit of that in there too. Um, have I always been a fan of, of how before BMAC came to South Carolina, Georgia evaluated receivers under Eason and then BMAC? No, I, I always thought, you know, for every A.J. Green or Travoris King they get, uh, uh, what's the guy's name, Muhammad Massaquai out of Charlotte, you know, there's five they get from Georgia that can't play dead in a movie that are big and slow. Um, and BMAC was not – he was a running backs coach for so long. There. He wasn't the receivers coach long enough uh, to really get a gauge. But, uh, quite frankly, the he, I guess Godwin, McCole Hardman, you know, those guys that he he left for, for Kirby Smart, uh, I think helped uh, – I, I helped them, you know, as, as they move forward uh, into the national championship game in 2017. And then, of course, in, you know, 2018 – we all saw some speed they had on the perimeter when they beat the Gamecocks, didn't you? Uh, so that's uh, that's my take on that. Uh, so to answer your question, uh, Sarah, absolutely. Uh, it's going to be easier for BMAC to go and, and sign no-brainer studs at Georgia than South Carolina. That said, I don't think st- signing no-brainer studs was the – the key at South Carolina, you saw sort of the blueprint for recruiting and re- at receiver. You, you find the guys around the Carolinas that are better than people think. Pharaoh Cooper, Bruce Ellington, uh, going to Florida and get an ace Sanders who may be an inch shorter, but it's really daggum good. Um, you, you know, you sign the Shaq Rollins, you sign Alshon Jeffrey, uh, but then you have Sidney Rice, three-star guy. You beat Syracuse on him, you know. Uh, Kenny McKinley, three-star guy out of Georgia. You know, you, you evaluate well, and a lot of times South Carolina kids turn out. I mean, who are the best three receivers of the must-champ era? Clearly, Debo Samuel, three-star guy out of Chapman. Brian Edwards, low four-star guy out of Conway. Uh, recruiting guys docked him because Clemson wanted him as a safety. Now he's in the NFL. Uh, Shy Smith, uh, NFL draft pick, low four-star guy. People were saying he didn't have any other offers with South Carolina. Uh, you can even look, look up at Clemson. Mike Williams is a low four-star guy. Um, you know, Hunter Renfro is, is the win of all wins as far as walk-ons go. Uh, quarterback at Sacristee before he went and did what he did for the Tigers. So, you know, there are guys like that throughout the Carolinas, which is why it was very frustrating uh, when they turned down some of these cats to go on some guys from Georgia that were more big than fast and things of that nature. But again, you know, I kind of back up on it a little bit and say, well, what if these guys hadn't gotten hurt? What have they been different? Uh, and I don't know. I don't know. And then I think with BMAC taking over as the OC, you know, maybe there was some coaching that needed to be done that he could have done that maybe didn't happen. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I also think that as far as, offense goes there's probably there are probably some things they could have done with jam williams over there they didn't do with aj turner when they moved into defense that was really tough um you know that kind of thing getting your best players out there they did it for the most part but you know just like hayden hurst only having 40 receptions when he's you know a senior junior in 2017 i mean that was egregious I mean, 
<laughs> you throw him a long pass early against Clemson. It's a little overthrown. He doesn't get to it. You just never go back to him again. And it's 20 to nothing in the third quarter. And you're just running it up the middle with Tyson Williams, you know, Kurt Roper. How was that? How was that any good? And and that stunk in that game because, you know, Shai Smith was a freshman, but he was fast. And so Smith was out. A.J. Turner was out. And South Carolina just looked slow in that one. Quite frankly, they looked slow this year against the Tigers' defense. But, uh, yeah, so, I, you know, I, look, I wish BMAC the best, you know, Coleman, Hutzler, Joe Cox, all those guys. Um and I think that they're all good coaches. They were just in a tough situation at South Carolina. And, you know, frankly, you know, Muschamp was as well to a certain extent. But, you know, one day you got to sit there and look back on – somebody's got to sit there and look back and probably do it with Will Muschamp. What went wrong <laughs> with these places? You know, what in the world uh, went wrong? Uh, Cause it's, you know, it's hard to find, you know, I think that, uh, you know, was there an individual individual over team culture there at the end with some of those guys, like, you know, the, the defensive backs that hightailed it, maybe um, what, you know, what do we all think? I mean, that, that's the whole thing. What happened was Muschamp's stretching himself too thin. Cause at different points, he was the both all, all of the above safety coach, recruiting coordinator, head coach, defensive coordinator. He's a linebackers coach one year. I mean, you know, you, you can't do everything. Uh, and I, I'm guilty of that in my career. You know, at one point I was I was uh, running the recruiting network nationally at 24-7 Sports. I was helping Shannon Terry develop product and things like that, like Crystal Ball and, and recruiter rankings and stuff. And kind of his right-hand man for a while. And I was also a, 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 a national recruiting analyst. So I had to write and do interviews and keep up with all that. Plus I had the big spur that I was running. And plus I started Virginia Tech. So there's like five things going on at once. And you can be a jack of all trades, master of none uh, at times. And, 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 you know, and I don't know, I'd have to talk to Muschamp about this, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that was an issue. You know, just guys like him that really, really know their stuff and know everything about everything when it comes to this game, and he does. You know, they stretch themselves too thin, and all of a sudden, I think a lot of times the people that are trying to help, that are helping you, that work for you, grow very dependent on you. And, oh, he'll carry us, he'll carry us, he'll carry us. And uh, that works if you're Steve Spurrier running offense. Uh, but Steve Spurrier never ran the defense or special team or anything like that. He's like, well, you know, that's somebody else's job. Shoot, I'm just going to call ball plays, you know. So he was a jack of one trade and master of one trade. And uh, that's kind of a little theory I've been, I've been poking around because, you know, you kind of think about it. You're like, wow, you know, and it, it's not like Muschamp was a, like a walk-around head coach that dabbled in everything. He's actually out there coaching you know, every day and doing, and recruit and, and people don't know this just about with the exception of the guys, Bobby Bentley got and some guys Peterson got, and then Wolford on the offensive line. Muschamp was the lead recruiter for Zach. I mean, essentially, you know, for Zach Pickens, Jordan Birch, Boogie Huntley, you know, all the guys that you could talk about, he got, all of them as the lead guy. All right. I got to run now. I got some family time got to do, but I wanted to pro- promise you guys, 
a mailbag segment, and there it is. Uh, happy Saturday to all of you out there in Gamecock land. I'll be back next week, hopefully to talk about a victory and a game coming up against Kentucky and maybe have more clarity on the tight end situation, the co- coaching-wise in football by then. Who knows, maybe have a 2023 commit by then, something like that. But I wish all you guys the best. Again, inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com or tweet to at the Big Spur Pod to get into the IELP Consulting Mailbag. Uh, also, uh, subscribe to this podcast uh, on Apple Pods, if that's how you listen to it. And that way you get a little notification when I drop an episode. Also, uh, go to the Big Spur YouTube page. There's a lot of content that's going to go there, including some things from the pod. Uh, follow the podcast on Instagram at Inside the Gamecocks as well. JC Sherbert signing off. Everyone have a great weekend. Holla at you soon.